You know, one of the great descriptions of a person is faithful. Faithfulness. It is required of a steward that he, she be found faithful. Well, there was a church in the first century that was being faithful to Jesus. This is the church of Philadelphia. And we're going to learn about Philadelphia's faithfulness and how we can be more faithful today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. We're going to be in Revelation 3. We're looking at Philadelphia's faithfulness. Philadelphia's faithfulness. Revelation 3, we'll look at verses 7 through 13. Revelation 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come, down, come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one takes your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God in my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading of his word and may he write it on our hearts. Amen. You may be seated. Father, as we get into your word tonight and we study the sixth of seven churches in these letters to the churches in Asia Minor in the book of Revelation, there's going to be a lot of application for us tonight. And we're going to talk about what faithfulness is about. We're going to talk about this church at Philadelphia and we're going to talk about us and how we can be found faithful, Lord. And the, you know, as I've surveyed life uh, as you've given me this perspective as a non-Christian before and a Christian now and a pastor, it seems like the faithful are the few. And Lord, we want to be found among the faithful, so help us to remain faithful. Strengthen us because faithfulness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And give us what we need, Lord, to have that courage and that strength to persevere. Bless our time tonight. Open our ears to what the Spirit would say to your church bought with your blood. I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Philadelphia's faithfulness. Someone asked James J. Corbett, at that time the heavyweight champion of the world, what was the most important thing a man must do to become a champion? He replied, fight one more round. The Duke of Wellington said, to the British, said that the British soldiers at the Battle of Waterloo were not any braver than Napoleon's soldiers. 
but they were brave for five minutes longer. This is what the Christian success story is about. This is a lot of what life is about. Can you hang in there for one more day, for five more minutes? During an interview with Abraham Lincoln, long after he had been inaugurated president, a friend asked him if he loved Jesus. The president buried his face in his handkerchief, wept and sobbed. He then said amid his tears, when I left home to take the chair of the state, I was not then a Christian. When my son died, the severest trial of my life, I was not a Christian. But when I went to Gettysburg and looked upon the graves of our dead who had fallen in the defense of their country, I then and there committed myself to Christ. I do love Jesus. The spectacle of that crucified one which is before my eyes is more than sublime, it is divine. A gentleman having an appointment to meet President Lincoln at 5 o'clock in the morning went a quarter of an hour before the time appointed. While waiting for the appointed time, he heard in the next room a voice as if a grave conversation was going on. He asked the attendant, who's talking in the next room? Well, it is the president, sir, replied the attendant. Is anybody with him, the gentleman inquired. No, he is reading the Bible. Uh, Is that his habit so early in the morning, the man asked. Yes, sir. He spends every morning from 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock in the morning reading the scriptures and praying. What makes a man faithful? What makes a woman faithful? What is the secret of faithfulness? Fighting one more round, staying true for one more day, just taking one day at a time. This is what faithfulness is all about. There's a string of uh, these kinds of things that I've come across, and I just want to read a few of them because I think it'll give you the flavor of what we're after. A shepherd once came to the city of Edinburgh from the country. He had his small, obedient dog with him. While there, the man died and was buried. That little dog lay on his master's grave, not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, but for 12 years. Every day at one o'clock, a gun fired in the castle of Edinburgh. When the gun fired, the dog would run to a local baker who gave it food and water. Then back to the grave it would go. This continued till the dog died 12 years later. That is faithfulness. A man threw a goose. Let me go back up here for a second. (laughs) A man threw a a goose, which had been run over and crushed by a car, into an oil drum. For seven years, the gander, that's the goose's mate, never went more than 10 feet away from the oil drum. That is faithfulness. George Mueller prayed for 52 years for a certain man to come to Jesus Christ. A pastor visited an elderly man 21 times before being let in to see him. But then he befriended the man, led him to Christ. That is faithfulness. Now we could go on and on and on. I don't know what it takes for you to give up. I don't know what it takes for you to lose patience. But there are many, many stories of incredible faithfulness. A Welsh postman had the British Empire Medal conferred upon him by Queen Elizabeth. He had not missed a day's service in 43 years. Uh, Thomas Edison made 18,000 experiments before he perfected the arc light. After experiencing 50 failures on another project, he said, I found 50 ways it cannot be done. That is faithfulness. What does it take for you and me to be found faithful? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. It is required of a steward that he be found faithful. 
But you know, faithfulness is not an easy thing, is it? In fact, I would say the thing that the devil pounds on Christians the most is something I've mentioned to you in the past, and that is to give up. Uh, Philadelphia was only one of two churches of the seven that doesn't get rebuked, doesn't get called upon to repent. Only two of the seven, Smyrna was the other church in Philadelphia. That's why this, the Philadelphian church is known as the faithful church. So we are at church six of the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And before we look at lukewarm Laodicea, which we'll look at in two weeks from tonight, we're going to look at this church called Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the faithful church. And we've looked at churches that were called dead. We've looked at churches that, you know, Jesus said you have a good reputation but you know what? I know what you're about. There's a lot of things that have come out in these assessments of the church. And so let's take a look at the angel. Uh, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, verse 7, chapter 3, write, He who is holy, remember Jesus is addressing every church through the pen of John. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. You could say, it this way, thus says the Lord. Here's what he's going to say to the church at Philadelphia. The city of Philadelphia was called the gateway to the east, a city of commercial importance. Philadelphia was sit situated on the Cogamus River, a tributary of the Hermas, or modern Gadez, about 28 miles southeast of Sardis. It was found by Attalus II Philadelphus. There's a little debate as to whether it was his brother or him that founded the city. I think most scholars would argue that it was Attalus II, known as Philadelphus, who reigned as king of Pergamum from 159 B.C. until 138 B.C., from whom the city derived its name. He named the city in honor of his brother. And Philadelphia, of course, means what? Brotherly love. We have our own city uh, of Philadelphia. And uh, let's look at a little uh, location and pictures. So you can see, uh, even though we have Thyatira circled, Philadelphia is actually down a little ways from there. All these cities are within about three, 30 to 40 miles of each other. This is, these are some ruins where there's a church just behind these ruins in the area of ancient Philadelphia. A little closer look. Um, what you'll see at most of these sites is some ruins that remain from maybe the time of Paul. Uh, sometimes things got built a little later. Sometimes they're a little earlier than uh, the time of Christ. Most of these places had some sort of ancient marketplace or agora that would uh, walk up to the ancient sites where there was worship going on. And many of these sites, as we've looked at these churches, had amphitheaters or stadiums. Philadelphia actually was known for the games. They had a lot of kind of Olympic-type games going on. There were a lot of performances that were done here. All of these cities had what was called an Acropolis, which was an elevated city where they would have major buildings. And then they would all have... Uh, typically multiple temples. I think this one is a temple to Hercules uh, that was erected somewhere around this time. So you'll, you'll find ruins like this in these locations. And uh, anyway, if you could take me back to the main slide from back there, Andy, that would be great. So this city prospered for two primary reasons. One was its strategic location. It was called the Gateway to the East. And the second was it was a, a very flourishing place for the grape-growing industry or the wine industry. So the ancient god that was worshipped in association with wine was the Greek god Dionysius. His Roman name was Bacchus. 
So people would go into this temple and they would get inebriated. They would drink alcohol to excess. Some stories say that they would gorge themselves on raw meat. And they, this would prepare them to commune with the god or the goddess or the gods. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. This city prospered for two primary reasons. One was its strategic location. It was called the Gateway to the East. And the second was, it was a a very flourishing place for the grape growing industry or the wine industry. So the ancient god that was worshipped in association with wine was the Greek god Dionysius. His Roman name was Bacchus. So people would go into this temple and they would get inebriated. They would drink alcohol to excess. Some stories say that they would gorge themselves on raw meat. And this would prepare them to commune with the god or the goddess or the gods. So in ancient times, sometimes you'll hear this today, people would say, you know, I need to kind of alter my state of consciousness to really get in touch with God. So they would overdrink or they would mess with pharmacia, ancient types of drugs, and they would say, that gets me in touch with God. Just like today, some of the moderns will say, you know, when I do this drug, then I'm a little bit more open to God, man. <laughs> Now, I know there's a whole debate in our world about medical uses of things like that, and I'm not going to talk about that, but I am going to say this. We are to have one master. And if we're altering our state of consciousness just to alter our state of consciousness, here's what happens. It becomes a doorway for Satan. And I don't have to tell you tonight, but I will tell you anyway, because I hear these stories over and over again, and they're not just outside the church, they're inside the church where people are dropping like flies to drugs. It is an absolute epidemic and travesty. If I had Pastor John come up here tonight and tell you the number of friends that he has lost to drug addiction, I think you would be appalled. There is so much that goes on in our world. You know, I had a friend years ago who called cocaine the devil's dandruff. And this is what people do, you know, they, they get caught up in stuff. Sometimes it seems like somewhat innocent fun. People call it recreational use. But in the end, there is a problem behind these things called drugs. People are abusing pills. People get, you know, I'm not saying that they're bad people, but people can get caught up in this really fast. Uh, in, in fact, Some of you remember Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor started smoking crack cocaine. He was a well-known comedian back in the day. And he said that he got to such a low point in smoking crack cocaine that he would lock himself behind a door where nobody could get to him. And he said his pipe, his cocaine pipe, began to talk to him. 
Some of you may remember that Richard Pryor, in a room, locked in a room, smoking crack cocaine, lit himself on fire and uh, was in deep trouble. Had to go off to the hospital and stuff like that. And his story is just one that's been repeated so many times. And back in the ancient world, it wasn't much different. People were messing with drugs, but they were saying it was for religious purposes. They could, you know, commune with this, this god Bacchus or Dionysius. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think what was behind that was not the god of the Bible, of course. Jesus, notice in this verse, is claiming to be holy. He says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, he who is holy and who is true. This is Habakkuk 3, verse 3. And I'll tell you this, that many times in the Old Testament, God will describe himself as holy. Listen to Habakkuk 3. And I'll tell you what, as you listen to this, turn to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 and listen to Habakkuk 3 as you turn over there. God comes from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand and there is the hiding of his power. Before him, before the Holy One goes, pestilence and plague comes after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways, God's ways, are everlasting. In the book of Isaiah, as Isaiah breaks into a section, chapters 40 through 48, where he compares the incomparable God to the gods of the nations, God says this through the prophet. To whom, Isaiah 40, verse 25, then will you liken me? That I should be his equal, says the Holy One. You're going to see this over and over again, that the God of the Bible calls himself the Holy One. He is the Holy One. What does the word holy mean? The word holy means unique, separate, consecrated, pure. Um, it, it is a term that is applied to us by extension because of our, our, of our relationship with God. But God alone is holy. God, in, God says in Leviticus eleven forty four and 45, I am holy, so you be holy. Peter picks that up in 2 Peter chapter 1. I think it's verse 17. I am holy, so you be holy. The angels in the uh, earlier vision on Isaiah 6 never ceased to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Scholars say that God's holiness is His aboveness, His separateness, His purity, His power. It is by very nature uh, the fact that God is holy. He is holy within Himself. The demons would approach Jesus in the Gospels and they would say, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, Mark 1.24. Peter responded in John 6.69, We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I'll give you some more, but I want you to turn to Philippians 2 for a second. God asked the question in Isaiah 40, verse 25, With whom will you compare me or who will be my equal? The answer is nobody, but look at Philippians 2. This is a little side note, but it's important for the purposes of establishing Christ's deity. A lot of people say, well, what, what are the clear passages on Christ's deity? Take a look at Philippians 2. Look at verse 6. Who, Christ is the one being talked about, end of verse 5. Christ Jesus is the subject who, although he existed in the form of God, the morphe of God, did not regard, what's your Bible say? 
equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now Jesus, in his subjugation or his uh, voluntary uh, submission to the Father in the incarnation, took on humanity. He did not subtract deity, he added humanity. God cannot stop being God, so it was not the subtraction of deity when Jesus became a man, it was the addition of humanity. Always remember that. That's the mystery of the incarnation. Jesus in Philippians 2.6 had equality with God, but he did not grasp onto it. He released it for a season as he came down to the earth and was made in the likeness of men. Everybody with me? You can't be called equal with God unless you're God. To whom will you liken me, says the Lord? Who will you call my equal? When Jesus opens in Revelation 3, just flip back to Revelation in verse 7, he says, I am the Holy One, I am the True One. He is the Holy One of God. Just flip ahead to Revelation 4 for a second. Revelation 4, look at verse 8. Revelation 4, 8 says these words. And the four living creatures, each of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Flip ahead to Revelation 6, look at verse 10. The martyrs crying out to God, they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? What's your Bible say there? Holy and true, will thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth. My point is this. This is a claim emphatically to Jesus being God. He is the Holy One, and He is the True One. Holy and true, the combination of purity and otherness combined with the word true, which in Greek is alephinas. We have a few people in our congregation that are named Aletheia or Aletheia, That is the Greek word for truth. And so Jesus Christ is the true one. He is the the idea, scholars that look at the language say, when you see true, it means genuine. He is genuine. He is real. He is authentic. Amen. Well, when you listen tomorrow, you will learn how this is one of the things that really drew me personally to Jesus that he is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, if you are driving right now in your car, listening in your home, wherever you may be, and you're wondering, is there any truth out there? It seems like we're in a world filled with lies. Is there anything that's authentic, anything genuine, anything real? Well, there is, and his name is Jesus. So make sure you tune in for more about Jesus on Walk in Truth next time. Hey, I appreciate you listening to Walk in Truth. My name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California. Now, the reason that we started this radio ministry is really to get the truth out on the airwaves. And I happened to be riding in a plane coming into Ontario Airport in Southern California. And I was looking at all the houses as you descend upon, you know, a city, house after house. And I just shot up a prayer, Lord, how can we possibly reach all these people with the good news of the gospel? And that's really when it hit me that radio would be a major tool to do that. And the Lord has been so good to provide that opportunity for us, those open doors. 
And I want to thank those of you who have partnered with us at Walk in Truth to expand our reach because there's many more homes in many neighborhoods and states that we would like to reach. But we do need partners. If you'd like to donate to this ministry, become a Walk in Truth partner. Go to walkintruth.com and click on that Donate tab. And you can get started today. And you can, you know, this is the greatest cause, folks, the cause of the gospel. So pray for us, pray about giving. And if you're being blessed by this ministry and you think to yourself, man, I want more people to know, to hear the word of God in this way, verse by verse. Well, please uh, make sure that you reach out to us today, walkintruth.com. We are listener supported. We'd love to expand our reach into more markets in many ways. So you can give a gift. You know, any size donation matters, small or large or in between. What we really need is consistent givers so that we can step out more into more of these open doors that are before us. And they are there. Now, if you'd like to send your gift through the mail, uh, other than the donate button at the Walk in Truth site, just snail mail is still available to all of us. And it's Walk in Truth, P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California. 92878. One more time, Walk in Truth, P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. Hey, I want to thank you ahead of time for helping us, partnering with us on this great mission to get the Word of God out to the ends of the earth. Now, tune in again tomorrow to this great station to hear part two of the teaching in Revelation 3 called Philadelphia's Faithfulness. Appreciate you listening. May God richly bless you, and we'll catch you next time. Remember, you can listen to today's program and previous ones whenever you want on our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.